best moments of life are often associated with food. Something really great happens. You get a job. You finish a degree. You go out for a meal. Uh, meals are often fun times as a kid growing up in a boisterous family with, well, my family wasn't boisterous, the two boys were boisterous, and mealtime was a very fun time, at least we made it fun. Meals represent family life. On Christmas Day, once when I think I was about 10, uh, the whole family had gathered, big table, out, very quiet, my father is saying grace for the whole family, and uh, I have the champagne bottle in my hand, and during grace I'm just fiddling with the champagne cork. And in the middle of grace, the champagne cork <laughs> explodes off the bottle, hits the ceiling, and then hits my auntie on the head. Meals represent the fun of family life. Meals also, well, you know, they display our attempt to welcome people. Uh, my auntie was visiting from Greece. And I soon learnt that um, the way that Greeks display table manners is very different to the way Australians display table manners because there was this educated, uh, fairly sophisticated looking uh, middle-aged Greek lady but she was making these guttural snorting noises all through dinner and it seemed to be particularly at those pauses in conversation where everything was silent and this caught my attention, my brother's attention and I started smirking at him and the more I smirked at him the more he laughed but my mum was sitting next to him and not me and so when he laughed my mum would pinch him under the table and so I'd smirk more and he'd get pinched more because he was laughing more. Meals are an attempt to, do, to display welcome. And meals also mark special occasions. I, uh, I wanted to ask Mandy to marry me, so I thought we'll go out to a, you know, the nicest, best restaurant I knew of. I'd never really been to a nice restaurant other than uh, you know, Taramara Thai was a, about the, uh, the best I'd ever been to. Uh, so I saw this article in the Sydney Morning Herald. It was what this uh, somewhat unknown restaurant called The Rock Pool in the Rocks 20-odd years ago. And um, I thought, right, we're going to go there. And uh, we went there for me to discover that this great restaurant was a great restaurant, but it was a seafood restaurant, and Mandy didn't like seafood. <laughs> I think she had chicken that night, and she said yes. But meals are, are more about simply refueling, aren't they? Uh, they're more about just getting stuff into our bodies. They represent so much more. And in fact, the New Testament takes meals seriously as well. There are three clear commands, not you know, uh, optional suggestions, but clear commands in the New Testament for Christian people to practice hospitality. Firstly, in 1 Peter 4, from our reading, it says to offer hospitality, and I like this bit, without grumbling. Without grumbling. I'm not sure what it is about having people in your house that might cause you to grumble. None of you, I'm sure. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2 says this, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so people have entertained angels without knowing it. See, you can kind of get away without showing hospitality. You can forget. He says, don't. Don't forget. No, this is actually important. And thirdly, in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, he says, share with God's people who are in need. 
practice hospitality. When you hear the word hospitality, it, it means kind of different things to different people. It, you know, we've commercialised that word, and so we have, you know, people might say, I'm in the hospitality industry. And so clearly, when the New Testament says for us to show hospitality, uh, it's not encouraging us to open up restaurants and cafes, is it? So what, what is the New Testament talking about here? Often the way Christians understand it is um, when they hear uh, that, you know, you ought to show more hospitality, we think, um, oh, we should have people over from church a little more. It's often the way we think. Well, I don't think it's any less than having people over from church, but what we're going to see, I hope this afternoon, that it's far more. It's not entertaining either. Uh, And it's not simply having a nice meal with friends or church friends. I'm going to give us a a definition of hospitality. Here's the definition. It's welcoming strangers into your home to treat them as family because this is what God has done for us. So you're welcoming strangers into your home to treat them like family because this is what God has done for us. The best meals have joy, and that so often characterises a meal. Meals are significant in celebration, but they're also significant in loss. If you've lost a loved one, it's often at the table that you feel their loss most acutely. Their absence is so real when the chair or the place that they sat is empty. See, meals are important to us across the span of emotion, joy and sadness, across the span of time and culture. Meals, eating with others, is so universally meaningful. Why? It's just an opportunity to get fuel in the tank, isn't it? But we give it so much more meaning than that. Well, I think in so many ways the Bible helps us with this and the Bible really draws on this and, in fact, I think God has created us because he's helping us anticipate a more wonderful meal that's before us. I think the Bible helps us see the reality of the kingdom of God in meals. The prophet Isaiah speaks of this. He's given this vision And he's given this vision of what God will do for Israel, and not just for Israel, what God will do for the whole entire world. He's given this vision of heaven, if you like, and he thinks of angels in nappies and clouds. No, he doesn't think of that. He thinks of this. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a rich feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. You see, this prophet is looking forward to what God will do at the end of all time and he conceives of what God will do as a meal. And it's not just an ordinary kind of meal, it's a feast. And God is the host at this meal and this meal is amazing. It's mouth-watering, generous and lavish, and the meal is the very end in itself. It's not just refueling to get on to the next thing. The meal is what it's about. This is where we're headed, says Isaiah. This is what 
he envisaged. It's a wedding feast, we know, if we've read on in the Bible. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb as the Bible unfolds, where we see that God himself is a host. He puts on the spread of heaven to celebrate this indissolvable union of his Son and the church, us, cleansed and transformed to be the bride. There's a uh, festival this weekend. I think it's the second uh, festival that's occurred by this name in Sydney. It's called Meat Stock. It was uh, in Olympic Park. Has anyone heard of this? Is it just me? I couldn't, uh, I couldn't get a... Uh, well, when I looked to get tickets, uh, it was all sold out. Um, this, in, this intrigues me. But this also, uh, I, I think this is also giving us a picture of what heaven is, that there are not simply clouds, it's not this ethereal realm of disembodied spirits floating around. It's something more like meat stock, at least in my mind, this barbecued and smoked meat festival where Jesus is my Lord and pit master. Thank you, Jez. Now, this shouldn't come as a surprise to us because as the Bible starts, it starts with food. Uh, God creates essentially, essentially this kind of this, this garden kitchen where he's provided this wonderful creation where it overflows with these fruits and produce where Adam and Eve can just take everything that's coming at them in such um, wonderful ease. Except, except Adam and Eve picked the only thing not on the menu in willful rejection of God's generous offer of the food before them. They want something else in their disobedience. And yet God is merciful to those who reject his kindness. His people wind up, we see, in the exodus in uh, Egypt. And as they were delivered from Egypt, we see that God wants to remind them of what he did and his salvation. So what does he do? He gives them a meal, the Passover meal, to remind them. And as you trace the story of Exodus, as God is bringing his people out out of Egypt into the desert, he's the one who's providing for them. And he's taking them where? He's taking them to, well, the promised land, which is described as a land of milk and honey. You see what God's doing for us? He's giving us very concrete, very human ways of understanding who he is because he's created us this way. He's created us to know him in this way. But we know the milk sours, the honey runs out and so disobedient, so willful, are God's people in the rejection of the kindness, of the splendour that he has put before them, that an angel won't do, a messenger won't do, a prophet won't do. God himself comes to this people, to us, who have rejected him. And Jesus is uh, always preaching in the Gospels, isn't he? He's always preaching. But the other thing in particular in the Gospel of Luke that he's doing is this. 
This is what the Pharisees think that Jesus is doing. He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What's Jesus doing all the time according to the Pharisees? And indeed, according to Luke, he's eating with people. He's eating so much, they think he's a glutton. He's drinking so much, they think he's a drunkard. You see, Jesus' workbench was the table. So much of Jesus' ministry was conducted around a table. This is where Jesus got stuff done. The night before Jesus was crucified, where was he? He was around a table. Days after he was resurrected, where is he? With his disciples around a table. His church is instructed to live like him, to take this word of the gospel, and they are supported by people welcoming people like the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. And these apostles, Peter and Paul, write letters to Christians to tell them to show what? To show hospitality. And in Revelation chapters 19 to 22, it culminates in this meal. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And in Luke's gospel, out of all the gospels, Jesus is pretty well eating and drinking the whole time. He's either at a meal or leaving a meal or you know the other thing he's doing he's going to a meal uh one commentator has written this book one scholar i think it's called eating your way through the gospel of luke uh another writer a man named tim chester asks this very helpful question uh, in this great little book called the meals with jesus has anyone heard of that book tim chester meals with jesus very very helpful uh Often we say, we think um, about Jesus' mission, and if I was to ask you, the Son of Man came to do what? The Son of Man came to, how, would, how does the Bible speak about what Jesus came to do? Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give. Right. In Luke chapter 7, verse 34, Jesus himself says something else. He says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. I think what we have in those um, two ways of speaking is the nature of the gospel, the nature of Jesus' ministry. We have the gospel about himself, about what he's come to do, to give his life. But also from Luke chapter 7, verse 34, we have how he came to do it. See, Jesus didn't start a school. He didn't start a university. He didn't start a holiday program, as good as these things are. You know what he did? He ate with people. He taught the gospel of himself, and he ate with people, and he turned the ancient world upside down. And there's this great story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 14. Why don't you turn to Luke chapter 14 because we're going to spend a little bit of time. You'll see that it's really split up into two sections there uh, in Luke 14. First, the first section is where uh, we're commended to invite outsiders to our table and secondly we're asked to invite outsiders to his table because Jesus is invited to this party and um, one of the great things is that Jesus goes, this is, I think, important for us. When, 
when we get an invitation, we can't say yes all the time, but I think it's important that we seriously consider if we are able to, not if we want to, um, if we're invited to someone's house or to spend time with people. And Jesus accepts this invitation, even though this invitation isn't from his friends. It's from the people who just don't like him. It's from the Pharisees. And he's at this party, and, uh, which he's been invited to, but I don't think they're going to invite him back because he dishes it out when he's at this party. In verse 7, he says, you guys just want to be known. He gives them an alternative in verse 11, that they're to live in humility. And then he spins around. He says, it's not just you who are invited who have the problem. It's you who start and run and host these kinds of parties. Because he says there in verse 12, when you give a luncheon or dinner, what do you do? What do we do? We invite our friends. He says, don't do that. Do not invite your friends. Do not invite your family, your brothers, verse 12, or relatives, or your rich neighbours. If you do, they might invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Remarkable words from Jesus here. Remarkable words in an ancient context and I think as remarkable in a modern context as well. Uh, there was a system that occurred within the ancient world whereby um, it's not hard for us to understand, but um, if someone was to invite you, you return the favour. This was a way in which business uh, and uh, social standing was conducted. Jim has even, uh, I think, uh, written a fair bit about this kind of thing, if you want to talk to him about it. But this is the way the ancient world operated. It's not that different from our modern world because the kind of people that we hang out with, what my mum, you say, you know, birds of the feather flock together. You hang out with people like you. But Jesus is saying, no, that's not what you're to do. You're to hang out and spend time with people completely different to you. You're to spend the time with people who are in our modern kind of parlance, non-strategic. You ought to spend time with people that other people don't want to spend time with. I don't think Jesus is uh, against us having family over, um, but I think what he's pushing us to do here is not to exclude our family, but to increase our invite list. Jesus spent plenty of time with people that he loved, but he didn't only spend time with those who loved him and were affectionate to him. The word hospitality literally means love of the stranger. And here Jesus is encouraging, I think, uh, us to treat strangers as family, not to limit our guest list. I think Jesus is actually encouraging us to add to our guest list. And I know that um, is, uh, might be difficult, but I think we need to take these words seriously. And I think we need to take these words seriously because Jesus says that this is a blessing. This is a blessing. It's a blessing for us to invite people into our homes that aren't like us. Now, this is a blessing that we've got to take as a promise because this is not an easy reality to understand. This is not an easy thing to do. 
to preference the outsider, to preference the lowly, to preference people not like us. I went to a 40th birthday. I'm on that, um, that circuit at the moment, 40th birthdays. 21st, 30th. Some of us go to 70th all the time. And um, this friend of mine, he's a third generation shore boy. Third generation. He's come from a privileged background. Uh, grew up on the North Shore and of course he had his 40th birthday in a private room at a historic restaurant. And there were the obligatory bankers there from the eastern suburbs, quite a number of them, actually really nice guys. Uh, but his father, about 25 years ago, had become a Christian. And when his father had become a Christian, their family and their lives were turned upside down. And they lived that out. And he lived that out. And so the kind of people at that party were what you would expect, his family, those he went to school with, those he worked with, but they were not just that. There were people from totally different ethnic backgrounds. There were people who were frankly just weird and awkward. But I think he's a person who's really lived this out and who in that some of those people had become Christians because he had simply invited them he treated a stranger like family, not because it was part of some massive strategy of ministry, but simply that's what Christians do. And if you do that for 20 years, God works amazingly. And I think this is a tough word for us. Uh, this is perhaps a word that makes you feel good. I don't want to make you feel guilty, but I want us to be convicted about this. I want us to see that this is a good thing and um, I'm speaking to me as much as anyone else that this is a real opportunity for us as a church. I think this is a powerful opportunity for us as a church. Because this is in so many ways what it is not simply to be a Christian but to be a Christian on mission. It's not necessarily doing everything differently. It's doing very ordinary things and knowing that in the very ordinary things that they are filled with eternal realities. We just have a meal of bread and wine. That's not a, an amazing kind of thing and yet it represents an eternal reality. I think there's a priority for us as Christian people and I think this uh, comes out in the New Testament uh, to prioritise uh, the welcome of the Christian stranger. In Galatians chapter 6, we're told that we should express love and care to everyone, but especially to the household of God. So I think there is a priority for the Christian person. And this is a, you know, if you've been around Christians for long enough, you'll know that it's not too hard because there are plenty of strange Christians that you can invite into your home. I think secondly, it's an opportunity for us to express hospitality to our neighbours, those who live around us, those who work around us. Because so many people are loved towards belief and not argued towards belief. And thirdly, I think it gives us an opportunity for the needy, for those who um, are in significant positions of life, 
whereby we, for many of us in privilege, have something to share with them, food, time, uh, love. And how will we know if this is working? Well, there's no KPI here. You know what the KPI is? It's there in verse 14. When will you see the fruit? At the resurrection of the just. This is not part of some strategy. This is just part of being Christian, and this is, God, this is how God uses us. There's a great motivation for us to do this because this is us moving beyond the safety of our wars. What's one of my favourite movies? The Castle, because it's so Australian, isn't it? You know, a man's home is his castle. But that's a terrible metaphor for a Christian. A castle's all about keeping people out. What is a Christian's home to be about? It's about bringing people in. A castle is a place of isolation, not a place of welcome. We don't have castles as Christians. A home, you know, it's a place to, you know, recharge your batteries. But more than that, it's a place where your hurts are healed where your deepest appetites are fulfilled. It's a place of warmth. It's a place of comfort. And if we're lucky, it's a place of beauty. And you know what? In hospitality, we get to share those things, those things that we find comfort from, those things that we find warmth from, those things that restore us. It's our privilege to share them with others such that they too might be recharged. Uh, I tell you what, uh, you know, just, just to go over to someone's house, have a chat, hear about their lives, be encouraged by how God's at work in them, that can be a remarkable thing in someone's life. You don't, you don't realise it. Well, you do realise it when it's other people, but you don't think you have that effect on others, but you do. You do. And so there's a real ministry for us in this way. This is what God has done for us. He's welcomed us not into his front garden. He's welcomed us into his home. We were the homeless and the hungry. Jesus came not as a married man, a field owner. He came homeless. He was born in a manger. He was crucified outside the gate. He was a non-English speaking, uneducated, homeless, Middle Eastern man. Now, seriously, how many of us would invite a non-English-speaking, uneducated, homeless Middle Eastern man into our homes. But this is what God has done for us. He's invited us as uh, aliens, as strangers to him, as his enemies, as we saw last week, and he's invited us into his very home through the death of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus drank at the altar of the Father's judgment so we could drink at the table of the Father's blessing. The Lord Jesus was excluded from the Father so that we could be brought in. And so therefore, what we're instructed to do in the New Testament to show hospitality isn't something different and remote from our experience as Christians already. Jesus goes on in Luke chapter 14 to speak about not just inviting others to our table, but inviting others to his table. He says... He tells this parable of this guy who's throwing this party, can't get anyone to come. People have all these excuses. They've bought a field. They've got oxen. They've just got married. 
And so the servant is instructed to go and get anyone who will come. And then verse 23, no one will come. So the master tells the servant, go out onto the roads and the country lanes and make them come in. You see the difference in language there? Make them come in. They need to be cajoled. They won't accept an invite because they can't repay that invite. And so we have a challenge before us. We have a wonderful opportunity as well. Have we invited a stranger? Not a friend, not a friend of a friend, but a a stranger into our homes. What if we did that? What if we did that and see how God chooses to bless us? Because God is calling us to open hearts, open minds and open homes. And there are so many opportunities for us to display this. Uh, So many of us are lonely. In fact, I think it is true that every single person in our church is lonely at some point in time. You can be very busy and lonely. You can be in a very uh, large or small family and be lonely. That's an experience, I think, of every Christian person, every person. And here in hospitality is a wonderful antidote and even a pre preemptive opportunity to cut loneliness off at the past because what we do as humans is we build up walls we build up walls to one another we don't even know that we're doing this but what does Ephesians 2 say that the gospel it tears down the walls that we build up between one another do not forget to entertain strangers for by doing so people have entertained angels do you know what some of the most remarkable experiences when we travel overseas are when we meet that just amazing person that represents so much of the place. They're so exotic and different. Well, the Bible's commending us, you don't have to go overseas for that, that you could be entertaining angels, as we saw reference to Abraham as he was, he was entertaining angels and God. What a blessing. Uh, but not, don't be naive. Not every person who comes into your house is going to be an angel, especially if three of my kids come into your house. <laughs> Because he says, offer hospitality to one another, Peter, without grumbling. So there's a realism. There's a tremendous possibility for something so amazing, for such surprise, connection, excitement in something that you didn't even conceive was possible, where you only invite people like you, you just hear the same stories, but from different people. Here you get to hear different stories. Here you get to make an impact as you entertain strangers. But don't be deceived. It's not easy. Because there was a cost. There's a cost to hospitality. There's a cost to God's hospitality of us, the death of the Lord Jesus. Friends, it's, uh, many of us have nice houses. I don't want us to feel bad about having nice houses. I want us to feel our nice houses with strangers. Um, there's so much to say and, and so much I won't, but let me conclude in this way. Hospitality reminds us of what God has before us, but it's also a vision of the future where every tongue and every tribe will worship the Lamb. I love the story, I was reminded of it this week, of J.G. Patton, not the general, or God's general, 
J.G. Padden, he was a Scottish minister of a large church in Glasgow. God put it on his heart to go to the South Seas to take the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The South Seas are what we know as Vanuatu. He told his church that God had put it on his heart. And so this elderly, wise, respected gentleman of the church confronted him publicly and told him that he was crazy, that if you go to the South Seas, Padden, you'll be eaten by cannibals. And Patton famously stood up and responded. He said, Mr. Dixon, you're up in age now yourself, soon to be eaten by worms. I confess to you now that if I could just serve my Lord Jesus, it won't matter to me if I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. I confess to you that on that great day, my resurrected body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. They offered him large sums of money. They loved him so much. They didn't want him to go. He still went. And after 20 years of hard, hard ministry in a hard and dangerous area, he laboured and he laboured faithfully until some, a few, Nivanawatu confessed faith in the Lord Jesus and for him this was the most amazing moment of his life. He said this, For years we have toiled, prayed and taught for this. At the moment when I put bread and wine into those dark hands, once stained with the blood of cannibalism, but now stretched out to receive and partake the emblems and seals of the Redeemer's love, I had a foretaste of the joy of glory that will not broke my heart into pieces. I shall never taste a deeper bliss until I look upon the glorified face of Jesus himself. We have a privilege to know this host who has invited us and we have a privilege to invite others to his table and so would he remind us and refresh us of this for Jesus' sake. Amen.